Coronavirus. It's all we've been hearing about and talking about. And with the increasingly widespread restrictions on sporting events, entertainment events, public gatherings and travel, it seems certain that in the next few weeks, that's all there will be to talk about. This week on Put Your Socks On, we take a quick break from our regular program to get a personal take on the impact the spread of the virus is having on the athletes in the world tour from someone who was on the ground at the UAE tour and was scheduled to race in a number of the now cancelled events. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Put Your Socks On. As always, I am joined by Bobby Julik. Bobby, how's things? I'm hanging in there, Gus, just uh, trying to keep things real in this <laughs> crazy world that we live in at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, on a personal note, before we get started, I would just like to dedicate this episode to my former colleague and friend, Nicholas Portal. We were both at Team Sky at, at the time, 2011, 2012, and I was a first-time race coach. He was a first-time director, and I took a liking to, to Nico right away due to his smile, his just relaxed demeanor his incredible work ethic, and his a little bit of love for the American and Anglo lifestyle, which is kind of odd, especially back then with a French kid from Poe. I remember him being extremely professional and worked incredibly hard as to be prepared for every scenario possible. Sean Yates really took him under his wing, showed him the ropes, and Nico adored him. So I know that that Sean is is having a hard time with this as well, but Everyone that came into contact with Nico loved him. It's really hard to put into, the, into words when something like this happens so suddenly to such an, an amazing person like Nico. But um, yeah, all of us here at Fizzo wish his family, his friends, and anyone that had the honor to get to know him our deepest condolences. Um, Nico definitely broke the mold with how any and all current and future directors should act. He definitely treated everyone with respect and everyone loved him. So rest in peace, Nicholas Portal. We love you. Yeah, that was uh, incredibly sad news. And, you know, with any passing in sport, it brings everything back into perspective, right? Sport is just sport. But I do think that it's also a reminder that sport has the ability to be a celebration of life and a celebration of relationships. And Nico Portal was definitely a personification of that. He really was the glue within within the team and really showcased how sport is more than just the results and more than just the doing. It is it is that family it creates and, and the relationships it creates. So um, condolences to, to everyone who knew him. Uh, rest in peace. Bobby, we all know by now that it is more about the races that didn't happen this week due to the coronavirus outbreak and concerns rather than the ones that did happen. Give me a rundown of the week of not racing, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like you alluded to, it, it's kind of strange that we're talking about this, but you know, the show must go on, uh, life must go on. Cycling has always been a hard man sport, no doubt about that. The only thing that has kept a race like Milan San Remo since happening has been world wars. And after the cancellation of the UAE tour and the media attention surrounding the outbreak of the coronavirus worldwide, there was obviously a lot of speculation. And now we have our answers. Races in Italy have been either canceled or postponed. I don't know how they're going to postpone them exactly, but um, maybe those questions will be answered soon as well. 
And it's back to business as usual, at least for the time being, for the rest of the races on the European calendar. I'm not a, an expert or a doctor in this, so I'm not going to go much deeper onto the subject as there are people much more qualified than me to speak about it. And I'm also not a fortune teller or pronosticator as to if the decisions that were made to do these other races in other countries outside of Italy is going to be wise. I guess, I guess time will tell. And you're exactly right. And a lot of teams have elected independently of the UCI and race organizers not to race. Let's talk about the racing that did happen. And that's basically Paris-Nice. Yeah, Paris-Nice, obviously a, a, one of my favorite races of all time. But with teams like Ineos, Jumbo-Visma, Astana, Michelton-Scott, UAE Emirates, Movistar, and CSC not even taking the start, it totally changes the race. Anytime you have to be ready for anything in Paris-Nice from start to finish. It seems to be more of a selection from the back, meaning that you have to stay out of trouble. And often the races come down to bonus seconds or that one very strategically timed moment when you can take some time on, on your rivals. Luck can change very quickly in this race and seems to be even more than others that that's, that happens quite often. Tell me stage one, Maximilian Schuckman. We saw him had a huge kind of a breakout year last year, particularly in these early week-long stage races. He took what was a pretty brutal and, un, well, I mean, I guess characteristic of Paris-Nice, but, you know, uh, exciting day. Yeah, very, very, very characteristic of, of how Paris-Nice starts especially with world tour points at stake it's full gas and when the weather up north isn't great you can expect echelons you can expect cold weather so how the riders deal with that is super important but it was definitely a hard cold day crosswinds did break the the group to pieces and a lot of the gc favorites were were caught out Sachman and his team bora hansgrohe rode very strongly at the end. Uh, he bridged up to a two-man break, which looked like it was going to go all the way to the line with Julian Alaphilippe and Tish Spinut in it. He bridged up with Marita McLaren, Dylan Toons, and beat them all in the sprint. So congratulations to him. Very, very, very good teamwork. But for me, seeing Richie Port and Roman Bardet lose almost three minutes was, was kind of a bummer because Obviously, on paper, before the race, those guys would have been dangerous. But the other kind of thing of note was outside favorite, based on the way that he's been racing so far this year, Warren Borgiel, was actually DQ'd from the race for prolonged drafting behind his team car. Definitely already after stage one, the, the picture's being painted a little clearer as to who's going to win the general classification. Yeah, uh, it went absolutely sideways, the results. Yeah, I noticed that uh, Bargui took that on the chin as well and the team didn't contest his drafting back into the race there. Stage two, same again. Giacomo Nizzolo from NTT Pro Cycling getting, I think that's their first World Tour win this season, but also the first in a while. He's, he's had a good start to the season though for, for that team, which has sort of been struggling to get going in the last couple of years. Yeah, with the change of the team, they did actually, Nizzolo did win a race down in the Tour Down Under. So I, th I think they're actually starting to click on, on all cylinders again. And getting a, a win like that in Europe is, is super important. But again, terrible weather, especially at the beginning. Echelons broke the race to pieces again. And as I was talking about with luck being involved, Philippe was the first guy to have a flat tire at a very bad moment when the, when the echelons really started kicking off. And a little bit later, Quintana crashed and both of them wound up losing a minute 25. Not to say that their race is over 
but it's going to be much more difficult as those two guys were definitely on my short list of guys going for the overall win. But for me, watching it on TV, I mean, it just got over. So we just watched it. And Colombian national road champion Sergio Haguita, his performance in the crosswinds, he had very strong team support. So, you know, congratulations to all the teammates of his that kept him in good position. But when you see the side shot of little Sergio Haguita in his Colombian national championship jersey alongside of these monsters of the crosswinds, monsters of the echelons, it was pretty, pretty impressive. So I think Higuita is definitely in the driver's seat for now. You know, if he's able to stay on the wheel and stay in the front, and I think he actually finished fifth on the stage in the sprint today, he's definitely going to be in contention. Guys like Nibali and Sakman are, are his main rivals, and we'll just see how this, this pans out over the next couple of days. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting race um, with some pretty gnarly weather predicted. Another race out there in France, the Grand Prix de la Ville de Lille. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, you, I'll, I'll let you have that one. Yeah, not much media coverage on these, but uh, Florent Vachon from Arkea Samsec won that race. And we also had the Gros Prix Jean-Pierre Monser, won by Fabio Jakobsen from Decoinic Quickstep. So there again, you know, the, the show must go on. The same teams are winning on the front, keeping that momentum going, which is really good. But one of the races not really on the the radar, the world tour calendar was um, the, I'm going to totally mispronounce this because I could barely spell it. The Dorp Penomloop du Rukpen. The only reason why I mention this is because it's well off the radar probably, but David Decker, do you, do you remember Eric Decker from the old Bravo Bank days? I absolutely do. Yeah. He was, uh, he was an incredible bike rider. Yeah, this is his son, and it's so cool yeah, wow. to see these ex-pros, sons and daughters competing, you know, following in their, their, their parents' footsteps. I think that's really cool, but it does remind me very clearly of how old we are getting. Well, there you have it, the week in racing, and that brings us to the main part of our show this week. With unprecedented action from governments, teams, and race organizers over the past week, the reality of the impact of the coronavirus is going to have globally has begun to set in. With some devastating loss of life, a global market in freefall, and entire nations on lockdown, the occurrence of a few bike races is relatively inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. Yet for those whose job it is, it has completely turned their lives upside down. We reached out to Larry Warbass earlier in the week, the 2017 National Road Race Champion and current member of AG Tour La Mondiale Racing Team to get him on the show today in order to gain a perspective from one of those people whose foreseeable future has completely shifted uh, in the last week or so. Hey, Larry, how are you? Thank you for jumping on Put Your Socks On. Okay, Larry, we've all read about it, but... I would really like to ask you what it was like after stage five of UAE tour when you returned to the hotel after being in the break all day. Yeah. So, you know, in the end, I was like, oh, I was pretty happy with my day, day in the breakaway was decent of the final climb, you know, got to the hotel, team was happy. Everything went like normal, you know? So I went to sleep and then all of a sudden, I don't know, I just woke up with the lights on and my director standing over me and I didn't really know what was going on. I thought like maybe I was dreaming or something. And, and he was like, the race is canceled because 
two people who were found to have coronavirus associated with race. And then I was like, okay, is this like legit or, or is this a dream, you know? And uh, then he said, yeah, actually in, it was, this was at 1230 in 30 minutes. So 1am, uh, everyone would go down to the lobby to be tested. So then I was like, okay, well, that doesn't really make sense. If people have coronavirus, why would we all go stand in the same room together? You know? So, but then I just said to my roommate, okay, let's go downstairs. You know, we'll try to beat the rush and, you know, get tested first. So we go in the hall and then there was another team doctor from another team who was like, ah, you know, I think it's better that you stay in your rooms. And then they call people down individually because it doesn't make sense to all go in the same room. I was like, yeah, okay. I agree with that. So went back in the room. Our director said, you know, that he would let us know when they were going to test us. And in the end, I said, okay, well, let's just go to sleep and then, you know, wake us up. So we got woken up again at 4 a.m., went downstairs to be tested. It was like the next day, we weren't allowed out of the hotel, but we could go around the hotel like normal. But yeah, we didn't know when we were going to be able to leave or what. And luckily, after a couple of days, most of us got to got to go home, but it wasn't the same for a lot of the other guys. So, mate, and that sounds like what I guess, like you said, in a couple of days you got to go home. But I want I want to sort of know, like in that couple of days, and I guess now, well, probably before that, like what measures do the teams take normally to keep you guys healthy on a day to day basis, like at races, outside of races, you know, like obviously to prevent you know getting illness like this, and then I guess. How has that changed now or has that changed now? Like what's going on kind of from a, from a coaching and health perspective for you guys? I would say this is changing a lot, at least in our team. So I know there are some teams that have like, or have before had some quite strict protocols. Um, like uh, I have a friend on uh, UAE team Emirates who, you know, he told me last year, I think either last year or something, they had brought in a new medical team who implemented all these different strategies. You know, I mean, they're small, but things like, you know, always having, I don't know, hand sanitizer everywhere, you know, having paper towels instead of like normal towels in the bus, things like that. You know, I mean, they're small things, but they, they add up. Our team, you know, we'd always have like hand sanitizer and stuff on the table, but I wouldn't say we had necessarily specific protocols. And now after this, um, we all got uh, like a, a huge document from the team for new protocols that are a lot more specific to the current situation. So, you know, mostly that right now they're based around Paris-Nice because the guys are racing there. But, you know, I think we'll, if we can continue to race in the next months, we will continue with these measures. And it's, I mean, it's even like guys aren't allowed to shake hands, no autographs, no selfies. It's like, and you know, uh, also in France, like bisous, like the kisses on the cheek and stuff, like that's really common. So obviously none of that. Like, yeah, uh, there was, there's quite a few, I guess. Yeah. They just really implemented a lot of, uh, a lot of new things, which I think is really good to have protocols like that. Um, because maybe some guys aren't aware and then also it just makes people a lot more conscious of, uh, hygiene. And that's what it's got to be. But you make it sound, you know, like it wasn't such a biggest deal. But I cannot imagine being in a foreign country and then having that sort of speculation go around. I'm glad that you got out of there. I feel terrible for the teams that had to stay there so long. But man, uh, I don't wish that upon anybody. But moving moving forward, it you know, and we don't know if if this is peaked out or or whatnot. But especially with you guys 
elite athletes that are always on that fine edge between extreme fitness and minor sickness with these new protocols and with all this uncertainty moving forward, what is your feeling about the next thing going, going forward? Is it going to be where you have full focus or is it going to be a little bit waiting into the last moment to see if these races even go on? I guess I'm asking how is this whole scenario of going to affect the short term and even the long term part of 2020 racing season? You know, there's quite a lot of us here right now uh, in the area because there aren't so many races. So I've been riding with quite a lot of guys and we all sort of have, you know, the same questions. It's like, are we going to be able to race? You know, it's like, Right now, I think just the last couple of days, the two red zones in Italy have gone on full lockdown. So um, that's like, I think, Lombardy and then the region around Venezia. And so, you know, that's in the worst of this yet. So I think that's just the start of it. And I worry that, you know, we're going to see more races probably get canceled or postponed in the next months. And... Yeah, because th- those those regions are on lockdown until April 3rd. So, you know, who knows if that gets postponed, all of a sudden you're not that far away from the Giro. This is the thing. If if we knew when we were going to be able to start again and when races were going to go on like normal, it'd be a lot easier to plan. But for the moment, we just have to continue thinking like, you know, we're going to go on with the next races. So we need to be ready to race in case and should they go on like normal, we need, we need to be ready. But if you knew that, say, perhaps, you know, the next two months of racing were going to get canceled, you know, I think you would approach it differently. But uh, no one's going to cancel a race two months in advance. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to train really hard, be ready for whatever the next race is, uh, even if that takes a while. But we'll see. I got a couple of questions. Like, do you have any say in whether or not you get to go to a race? Like, and, and what I mean by that, for, for example, is like, um, Parry and East is running right now. A lot of world tour teams aren't there, but your team is. If like, like if your team is like, oh, you've got to go to this race, and you're like, there's no way I want to risk my health. Like, do you have a say in that, or is it sort of like, you know, you just got to be ready to go, and like, it's you know, everyone's just they're just you know being soldiers, and they're kind of going in and racing. Or is there a conversation being had around that? Do you guys get a choice? I don't really know, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd probably be too scared to ask. Fair enough. I mean, if you if you were genuinely concerned. I think you could at least have a conversation about it. Yeah, I don't think it'd be an easy conversation to have. And I think in the end, like, my team is going to do the best. Like, they they don't want us to get sick or quarantined Mm. either, right? So they're going to try to put in, you know, as good of measures as they can in place. But, yeah, you never know. I think the one thing that was, like, unique about UAE was that, you know, we were all in the same hotel. So you have hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of people all in the same hotel, right? <clears throat> that is like a breeding ground for uh, sickness if someone's sick, right? And in Europe, just the nature of the hotels and everything, there aren't those mega hotels like that. So it's going to be more team by team. So I think there's less chance for that crazy spreading and stuff like you could have seen there uh, in UAE. But I mean, obviously, there's still possibilities. And then the other problem is we just all are traveling from all over. And mm. I think the traveling is probably the most risky part um, to contract a virus. But 
Yeah, and then they're saying that they're going to make up races like Milan San Remo. They're going to like the season seems at least to me seems pretty jam packed. Like, how do you feel about that sort of a thing? And do you even think that's possible? Like, yeah, what's the conversation going on around that for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think like if they could do like San Remo and things like that in like September around Worlds, mm-hmm. that would be amazing. That'd be so cool. But yeah. then I saw someone on Twitter post like, you know, end of October, beginning of November. I was like, honestly, I think I'd rather get coronavirus than race in November. You know? <laughs> but, uh, I'm hearing you, man. <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, I think like if they could find a good date for it, everyone wants to race San Remo. You know, I mean, it's an amazing race. Same with Strata Bianca. Everyone's excited to do those races. Everyone really wants to participate in those races. And I think it's a shame if we lose them even for a year. So, um, mm. if they could postpone them and find a nice date for them somewhere, that'd be amazing. That'd be really cool. And I think, I think everyone would be cool with that, but, uh, whether they're going to be able to, I don't know. And then that's also probably whether more races get canceled yeah. or not, you know? So we'll see. Cause if more races get canceled, obviously we're going to run out of space. Well, hey, Larry, thank you very much for joining us today on Put Your Socks On. We know that you are keeping sharp because you are joining us after a six and a half hour ride down there on the Cote d'Azur. So go get your recovery, stay healthy, and thanks again for for everything. Thanks, guys, and thanks for having me. See you later. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Great interview there, Bobby, and some pretty interesting kind of insights into what it's like being an athlete in this whole situation. What were some of the lessons that you that you can take away from that conversation we had? Yeah, Larry is a very well-spoken and educated kid, and I still can't get over the fact of how calmly he explained the craziness that must have been going on inside that hotel. But I know, right? You know, cycling has been always that full access sport. You know, we're not behind gates most of the time. People can reach out and touch us. People are always asking for autographs, basically, without any security around. Mm. So it's interesting to hear some of the protocols that they've already put in place that Larry mentioned, like no kisses, no autographs, no selfies. But, man, I hope that doesn't last because that's kind of the allure of sport. And these people that come to the races, that's why they come. They come to get an autograph. They come to get a selfie. They come to get a old photo of you from 25 years ago signed. And I think that'll be a real shame. I don't think we want to limit that fan contact because it's what makes the sport, you know, so special. But if this is an issue moving forward, I do believe that some of those protocols have to be in place. And I don't know about you, but, you know, traveling and riding bikes, the fist bump, the elbow bump, these things yeah. maybe, you know, the bow, uh, these are all <laughs> things that may take the place of the, the handshake and the, the double kisses, like, like Larry said, is so popular in France. But yeah, moving forward, outside of those protocols, I'm wondering, I'm interested to see if the UCI gets involved. Um, mm. Obviously, these teams are looking out for the health of their riders. And that's what we really have to remember is sport is sport. If I was an athlete that was asked to go to a race and I had a young child at home, I think I'd be a little bit distraught or nervous about Mm. coming home and infecting my family. You know, Larry 
Larry's single. He lives in his own place in Nice, so maybe that's not a concern for him. But I just hope that the teams actually put that above the business of cycling. And they're really stuck, in my opinion, between a rock and a hard place. And we did see like a lot of teams have made that call. They didn't wait for the UCI. The UCI put out a letter about five days ago sort of saying a bunch of stuff, but essentially that they weren't going to make any decisions in the postponing of races. They were going to leave that up to um, the organisers, but also then like governments and, and the authorities who sort of had more information on this stuff. But we saw teams took action kind of before then. Um, EF wrote a letter to the UCI and then very quickly Ineos, CCC and the rest sort of followed suit. So we've definitely seen the the landscape change. And as Larry kind of alluded to in that interview, it was interesting to sort of say, he's like, yeah, you know, you kind of, you are expected if, if your team sends you to a race, you are expected to go, but there's a whole bunch of other kind of anxiety surrounding that. And I think that's going to take a while to overcome, you know, even when, even when eventually we do resume racing in a regular uh, fashion, I, I, I definitely think that I think that the landscape will have changed for the way that um, that riders and fans and interact, and also to the health and hygiene of, of of travel. One thing I do want to know, Bobby, is we're talking about the athletes here, and there are a bunch of protocols that take care of these athletes and their health. Obviously, that's like the you know number one priority. What about the staff? There is a huge number of staff that are involved in the operations of of these teams, and they're kind of traveling under every which means as well. You know, are they being monitored? What's what's sort of do you know anything about that? Well, I would have to say with the Nicolo Portal story that mm-hmm. that's something that does need to be addressed because. So much emphasis is on the riders, the riders' health, the riders' nutrition, the riders' travel, the riders' hygiene, everything, that sometimes the staff don't pay attention to that themselves. And I am sure that now there will be that sort of testing, maybe even, you know, all the UCI health checks that the riders go through. Maybe it would be a good idea to have the staff go through as well, because yeah, these guys are sleep deprived, they're stressed, maybe even more than the riders. And they don't have most of them don't have that outlet of riding a bike. I know there are quite a few sports directors that get up in the morning, soigneurs, mechanics, they go running, they go riding. But yeah, health, especially after the sport, and monitoring those staff people, I think would be a very interesting topic to look at. And I'm sure that teams will implement those very easily. You know, the Nico Portal situation, obviously a little bit overshadowed this week by the corona, but both these two things have kind of highlighted that issue, which is, um, and it's a conversation that isn't being had, but it's like, how hard does everybody need to push basically to to make sure that this World Tour circus continues to run? And I think that that's something we potentially can look at in the future in a little bit more detail in another episode. Um, but one thing I wanted to bring up, and that is like what, you know, global markets are in free fall. There's a bunch of economic sort of trade wars that are starting to to ignite between different countries and in different industries. I'm concerned with the long-term impact that these cancelled races, that this slowed economic growth is going to have in a sport that's been typically pretty, you know, season to season and pretty volatile in terms of its sponsorship. I noticed today um, Astana haven't paid their riders for the last couple of months. So it's definitely a a volatile time in this sport. So I reached out to Steve Maxwell, who's the author of The Outer Line, to comment on what he sort of saw as the fallout or the potential fallout of Corona. Um, and he gave me a quote from an article that the Adeline are, are putting together right now, which will come out later in the week 
on Velo News. Um, and he said, to quote, all facets of our society and economy are facing the requirement right now of making critical decisions in an environment of great uncertainty. And in its own small way, pro cycling has exactly the same challenge. At this point, we can only wildly speculate on an endless number of possible racing and calendar scenarios, and we are unlikely to gain much near-term clarity on how this will all play out through the rest of the year. As fans, we might like to see racing carry on in as close to a normal format as possible, but as pro cycling teams, events, and regulators are forced to make very consequential decisions under conditions of very little information, we as fans need to cut them some slack and give them the benefit of the doubt at a time like this. At this point, it seems like Flanders and the ASO will likely go ahead in an attempt to run their early April requirements uh, without any interruption. So if they succeed, obviously the Tour and the Giro will go ahead as scheduled. Um, and if that's the case, you know we might see a semi-normal schedule continue through spring and summer with potentially, as Larry said, October or even September full of Italian one-day races. But if the situation doesn't kind of normalize or improve, sorry, over the next few weeks, and which, you know, most public sort of uh, health officials have indicated, more races are going to be forced to cancel or postpone. And it's conceivable that we might have already seen the 2020 Spring Classics campaign. And the remainder of the season will potentially have an asterisk next to it. So you know, like Steve is an expert in, in cycling economics and, and, you know, kind of looking at the global picture of, of the sport and he's sort of basically saying that no one really knows what's going on and it's kind of a day-by-day day and week-by-week week case, which, you know, I think we sort of understood, but it's it's, fri- it's frightening to, you know, know that even, even the experts don't really have any idea what's going to happen. So, yeah, it's all sort of up in the arms at the moment, Bobby. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a touchy situation. It's a crazy world that we're living in right now. And I just hope that we do put this in perspective and we put the health of everyone above the participation in, in some of these sporting events. Yeah, this was a little bit of a change from our normal scheduled planning. A mm. uh, huge thank you to Larry Warbass for taking time out of his, his recovery after his long training today to get on to the show. Thank you to our listeners for continuing to tune in and support the show. We really appreciate it and getting a lot of positive feedback. Please continue to show your support by subscribing to the program and always leaving a rating is is a plus. You can subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, just search for Fizzo, P-Y-S-O. You can also follow along with us, along with a ton of other fantastic journalism over at velonews.com. Get at us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter at Fizopod, P-Y-S-O-P-O-D. Uh, I am at that is Gus on Instagram and Bobby is at Bobby.Julik. Uh, I've been pronouncing that wrong apparently the last few weeks on the show, so I apologize for that. Make sure you reach out to us there and give us any suggestions, feedback, any comments. Uh, guys, until next week, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate your support. Uh, my name is Angus Morton. And I'm Bobby Julik. Hopefully we're back to business as usual next week with some of our interesting topics that we have lined up, but we do try to stay current. So thanks for hanging with us today. And as always, don't forget to put your socks on. Yeah.